Hello there. My name is Stuart Fernie, and I want to welcome you to my series of reflections on characters and themes in some of my favourite films. I will also present thoughts on a handful of literary works, and there may be the odd vaguely philosophical piece as well. On this occasion, I will be discussing characters and themes in Stanley Kubrick's film version of A Clockwork Orange, originally written by Anthony Burgess. Often summed up as a damning indictment of the state's willingness and capacity to exercise control over its citizens, A Clockwork Orange is that, but it is also so much more in that it invites its audience to consider or reconsider some fundamental truths about society and human nature. Peaceful coexistence in society is dependent on showing consideration toward others, recognising that our actions have an impact on others, and accepting responsibility for that. This is instilled by parental nurturing and enforced by state-sponsored rules and laws. Of course, man is not necessarily a disciplined or moral organism on whom it is easy to impose constraints and direction, as is suggested by the film's title. There is always the potential for conflict as a result of individuals exercising their self-serving free will, poor or weak parental nurturing, governmental policies developed for political effect rather than societal benefit, and subjective or corrupt enforcement by officers of the law. Indeed, in this film we are presented with a somewhat pessimistic series of characterizations and events that may lead us to question whether man is truly capable of achieving conduct in line with principle and idealistic values. It is in this context that A Clockwork Orange takes place, and the film can usefully be divided into three parts for our consideration. Conduct and crime, punishment and treatment, and consequences and repercussions. At the very start of the film, we are presented with a group of four self-centred, indulgent and amoral juvenile delinquents, led by Alex DeLarge, who bolster one another's egos and sense of self-worth through bluster, acts of assault, rape and theft, and through shared moral indifference. Yet these adolescents are dependent on the very social order and conventions they willfully scorn and mock for their self-absorbed and hypocritical survival and upkeep. Alex's ineffectual parents seek a quiet and easy life without conflict, question or responsibility, and more or less turn a blind eye to his undisciplined and narcissistic attitudes and conduct, because that is easier than trying to assert themselves or impose authority. As a result, Alex and his cronies appear to have determined that within society there is little real resistance to their use of brute force and their childlike and manipulative imposition of their wills, leading to an excess of confidence and shows of bravado. There are ironic disputes within our band of young delinquents, as they expect, with a considerable degree of hypocrisy, respect and loyalty among the group members. But Alex, their de facto leader, wishes to exercise his authority and exert control. So he follows the successful pattern of violence he has been in the habit of pursuing and beats his friends into submission to his will. Beyond sharing experience, principles and aims, social groups appear to require common respect and consideration to create a bond and be successful. And in denying this honourable concept and indulging his own ambitions, Alex sows a seed of discontent among his friends, leading to revenge and betrayal. A planned break-in goes awry and Alex kills his victim. He is then betrayed by his friends and is arrested for murder. This apparently crosses a moral line even for Alex, though he may be more concerned about the consequences for himself than the fact he has taken a life. Up until now, the only figure of authority we have seen is Alex's social worker, who is presented as corrupt, abusive and self-serving. 
Now, the police officers who arrest Alex are portrayed as judgmental, brutal and manipulative, imposing personal evaluations and means of meeting out punishment rather than being impartial instruments of seeking justice. In prison, strict discipline is imposed, and it is clear that the authorities are in favour of vengeful punishment rather than expend time and effort on rehabilitation. Though the prison pastor makes some attempt at reforming inmate souls and responds favourably to Alex's efforts to ingratiate himself and thus ensure he has a relatively easy time in prison. So far, we have encountered few positive role models. After two years, Alex claims to have seen the error of his ways and wishes to undergo a new state-sponsored treatment which will allow him, if successful, to go free in two weeks. It is fairly clear he is motivated by the prospect of early release rather than truly believing in the apparently noble purpose of this programme to cure delinquency and violent behaviour. This miracle cure is to be achieved not by the high-minded raising awareness of the consequences of our acts on others and development of a sense of responsibility and accountability, but rather by a means of brutal and invasive brainwashing and aversion therapy which will condition Alex to feel physically ill at the thought of violence, sex and, as an accidental by-product, his beloved Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. The powers that be are willing to resort to extreme and dehumanising methods to achieve their aim, using science to deprive individuals of personal freedom and natural instincts, and training them to respond to others in what they judge to be a more society-friendly way. This is all politically motivated as the government wishes to be able to claim reduced levels of criminality in order to attract votes. This scurrilous and manipulative purpose is confirmed and enhanced by a theatrical performance designed to gain positive government publicity during which Alex is summarily humiliated and debased and actors and models happily participate in an attempt to develop their own careers. Having paid the price of humiliation and character-changing treatment, Alex gains that which he had schemed to attain, his freedom. On his release, Alex learns something of the consequences and cost to himself of his previous actions and conduct, a lesson that will have more personal, emotional and immediate effect than his social conditioning. When he returns to his parental home, Alex is rejected by his parents, who have all but replaced him with a considerate and appreciative lodger. This rejection causes Alex some emotional distress, and reveals a certain lack of awareness of the effect of his conduct while he lived at home, and a depth of feeling for his parents and the stability they provided factors he had taken completely for granted and whose deprivation he has brought about through his own actions and attitude. He has thus begun the process of sharing and understanding the consequences of his past actions and discovering man's capacity and predilection for vengeful acts rather than idealistic acts of charity and understanding. He next encounters the old man he and his droogs or friends beat up viciously near the beginning of the film. Taking advantage of Alex's state of bewilderment and hurt at his parents' rejection of him, the old man hauls Alex before his friends and invites them to give him a good hiding. Alex is saved, somewhat ironically, by the authorities in the form of a couple of policemen, but it transpires these policemen are none other than two of Alex's former droogs, and they proceed to beat him in revenge for his abuse of them. It appears that talk of principle, social understanding and forgiveness is just that, talk, when presented with an opportunity for old-fashioned revenge, the scale is tipped by human nature in favour of brute vengeance. This is reinforced and clarified by Alex's next encounter. Still suffering physically and emotionally from his experiences at the hands of his parents, the old man and his former friends, Alex ends up seeking help at the door of another of his former victims. 
Alex has returned inadvertently to the scene of a rape and assault he and his friends inflicted on a couple in the opening part of the film. Although the now wheelchair-bound writer and owner of the house is initially willing to show sympathy and understanding to Alex, whose rehabilitation by dubious means has gained considerable publicity, when he realises Alex was responsible for his own life-changing assault and the brutal rape of his wife, personal reaction overwhelms him, and he abandons his liberal and well-intentioned principles and he sets about torturing Alex psychologically, driving him to attempt suicide and completing the vicious circle of violence. Alex survives, and his story is simplified and manipulated for political and commercial gain by the press. His attempted suicide is presented as the result of his misguided medical treatment and political ambition, and certainly not the result of his own actions, and Alex is treated well in order to buy his silence and avoid further negative political publicity. Thus, the press will benefit with an attention-grabbing story, the politicians will benefit as they focus on Alex's rehabilitation, and of course Alex will profit, while the full sordid and brutal truth of his past remains concealed or ignored. Indeed, at the end, Alex experiences dreams and sees images that suggest he has reverted to his natural inclinations. Perhaps human nature cannot be overcome despite our facade of civilization. This film may be viewed as a representation of the eternal conflict between social responsibility and the exercise of personal freedom, but I think it is much darker than that. There are no heroes in this story. No one comes out well as no one has behaved in line with the principled and idealistic values we like to think are at the heart of society. It may be that morality, principle and justice do not exist, and life is what we in society choose to make of it and accept. We set our own standards and live by them, or not. Although presumably conceived as a satire to shock viewers out of their complacent negligence or indifference regarding the direction in which society was going, something misfired in the perception of this film and its import in some quarters. Rather than be sensitised to or concerned and sickened by the violence and consequences on display, certain youthful elements in the 70s took inspiration from it and this led to a spate of violent incidents which eventually caused Kubrick to withdraw his film from presentation for a number of years. This may have been due to the fact that in this rather bleak tale, most of the characters are less than admirable, and, perhaps because there are no heroes on display, Alex appears more positive and dynamic than was anticipated as he shows a degree of challenge and integrity by remaining largely true to himself. This was enhanced, of course, by Malcolm McDowell's supremely confident, composed and charismatic performance. Perhaps the theatrical, staged style also led to a lack of clarity in the goals of the film. This detached style actually suited and enhanced some of his other films, such as 2001 A Space Odyssey and Barry Lyndon. But here I wonder if it may have contributed to the fundamental misapprehension of the film by some on its release. My thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you find it of some value. Please join me again soon for discussion of more films and books.